Okay, hello, and welcome to this latest episode of Innovations in Education, eCampus News' podcast on the latest and greatest happening in higher ed tech this month. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. On this episode, we look at a variety of big picture practices that will help any and every higher ed executive navigate the daunting expectations of institutions today, from using data to recruit and retain students, to implementing energy-efficient sustainability goals, to even keeping your own personal affairs in order. Let's dig in. First, Jason Smith, he's the Senior Director of Strategic Consulting at Anthology, writes about how enrolling and retaining students requires an in-depth, data-driven look at the needs of the individual learner. The piece is called How Higher Ed Can Turn the Tide on Enrollment and Retention, and here's an excerpt. First, he writes that data-driven personalization is key. Looking at trends in higher education is a good starting point, he writes, for institutions seeking to focus their recruitment and retention goals. However, colleges must also consider investing time and money into data-driven outcomes. Institutions already have access to millions of learner data points on how and what students want to learn, how they best engage, and their personal needs and wants. Tapping into these rich insights in a meaningful way with personalized engagement strategies along a learner's journey is critical to keeping them on track. He goes on, he writes about how higher ed must maintain its commitment to serving adult learners. Personalized outreach to adult learners is paramount as similarly to the traditional 18 and 24-year-old track, but they cannot be treated as a homogenized group. And engaging with this group is often more difficult as they have competing priorities such as work and family obligations. Attracting and retaining adult learners requires creative engagement strategies to really reach these students. As an example, Miami-Dade Community College recently canceled up to $500 in stranded debt that was preventing adult learners who had dropped out from re-registering to encourage re-enrollment. And finally, he writes, boasting great ROI is a great start, but institutions need to walk the walk. We're entering a period of fierce competition for students, he writes. Schools promising high-quality education for reasonable prices need to deliver on that promise or risk losing current and prospective students to competitors that do. Institutions that are personalizing their offerings with data-driven resources designed to connect learners with in-demand jobs are going to be the most attractive to students now, there are a number of different insights in this piece surrounding this idea of using data that you may already have in better and more efficient ways. Be sure to check it out. Next, I am Moa. He is the CEO and co-founder of Boomerang, writes about how leveraging innovative technology and resources is essential to your own productivity and time management. He starts out by writing about calendar blocking and how to use that to your advantage. He writes, blocking out time on your calendar early will help you get through the day more efficiently. If you need to update a document, place a 20 to 30 minute blue block on your calendar to solely focus on that. Or if there's an important admissions phone call you need to make, create a yellow block in order to give the person you're interacting with your full attention. Pre-designating times in your calendar ensures your mind won't wander throughout the day. Using color coding will help you visually understand what types of tasks you're spending most of your time on. Tip number two, control that inbox. Relying on outdated methods of communication only exacerbates this issue. 
Instead, use tools that allow you to provide meeting availability in real time right in the email invite itself. Likewise, email that floods your inbox can keep you from being able to focus. One great workaround for this is to pause your inbox. Doing this will give you reprieve from notifications so you can really get things done. And finally, schedule meetings with ease. He writes, in an increasingly automated hybrid work environment, the old way of meeting scheduling with the back and forth emails or using a scheduling link simply aren't that great. The former clogs your inbox and the latter makes the person you're inviting break out of their workflow. They have to switch tabs, find a time, and then fill out their information. Instead, look for tools that make it easier for you and the person you're inviting. You'll not only be able to lock in a time to meet quicker, but it will keep your inbox from being clogged with back and forth emails. While these things may seem basic at first, they really are essential if you want to be more productive on a day-to-day basis. We may as well practice what we preach, right? You can find the entire piece under the title, Three Ways to Improve Time Management in an Administrative Role. And finally, the idea of sustainability on campus is more than just a buzzword. Sustainable schools are more attractive to staff and students while improving building operations and helping the school's bottom line. Green schools use less energy and water, have shown a reduction in absenteeism, along with an increase in student performance, and incoming freshmen are twice as likely to choose their school based on sustainability factors. I spoke with Axel Reichart. He's the GM of Smart Power at Honeywell Sustainable Building Technologies, and Karen Cooper. She's the Director of Offer Management at Honeywell. To learn about more ways that universities are becoming more sustainable, how they're using funding mechanisms available to support sustainability improvements, and what first steps schools can take in the walk towards net zero carbon emissions. Here's a snippet. Now, of course, after the regulation pain point, the second pain point is usually about funding, right? Where do you get the money to sustain these sort of things? Can, can you both talk about some of the types of funding and other incentives that are available to help campuses with sustainability upgrades? Sure. I mean, it, it varies greatly by state and by utility company. Uh, many, most of your major utilities will have rebates available for certain projects that you do. There's a lot of federal money that was av- is available. And depending on what you're doing, you can get grants for things. I actually even recently heard of a school that's leveraging the Chips and Science Act to do some EV project, which isn't something I had thought of using before. So there's a lot of stuff that's out there. And even though some of the, I think some of the legislation seems vague because the government very much wants everybody to start being creative um, and come up with ways to, to, to solve our energy challenges. And to Axel's point, you know, I think the, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act is, is super exciting for higher education, especially the public universities or any, um, anyone that has been tax exempt, because it, it literally says that the direct payment tax credits under the act are available to these organizations where before they, you know, if you're tax exempt, how do you get a tax rebate? And those are for projects like solar, wind, geothermal. Axel, what other types of things could we apply the IRA to? The battery energy storage is a perfect example. Yeah. Well, what about schools that um, aren't eligible for federal funds? What do they do? I mean, are there are alternative ways to pay for projects. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So I don't know if you want to take that, Axel. You look yeah, like you're sure. excited. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the, you know, there's, there's the classic funding mechanism of using an energy services performance contract where the where we put a big project together um, to retrofit facilities, make it more energy efficient. And then the uh, the project is really financed on an ongoing basis through the savings that you're generating with your new, more efficient technologies. So that's a, that's a very common mechanism that we really see uh, a, a lot. And uh, companies like Honeywell, we do hundreds of those every every single year. Some universities do very creative things, as, as, as Karen mentioned. I, I've seen universities raise sustainability funds through student fees or holding uh, donation drives with, uh, with their, uh, you know, for, from, the, from corporations, the utilities, from alumni uh, to fund specific sustainability projects. I think there's, there was money available for pretty much every kind of sustainability project. Um, and as, as Karen said, you know, fi find a trusted partner that will help you navigate to it and, uh, and, and, and make a resource available on, you know, a senior leader available in the university that's tasked with, with, with helping on that journey because it's, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really exciting and uh, new mechanisms for funding come out on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't think I, we can emphasize enough how important it is when there's all this money available, there's also a lot of people trying to tap into it. So make sure you do vet your partner very well. And make sure if you engage in these energy performance types that you read the contract closely. And I always say, and Honeywell is one of these types of partners, we guarantee the energy savings. So um, you can truly do a capital project without zero dollars coming out of your capital budget. If you want to listen to the full conversation, go up into the webinar tab at eCampus News and search for sustainability in higher education. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on ecampusnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the higher ed ed tech space. Remember, eCampus is always free and always helping innovative educators just like you. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for eCampus News.